Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome to the Latin American History Podcast, episode 23, Setting the Scene. Before starting, I have a couple of things I want to talk about. Firstly, apologies that this episode has taken longer than I'd hoped to come out. I've had a busy couple of weeks. Part of that busyness has come from the process of getting a new job. In short, since graduating from university a couple of years ago, I've been trying to find work in my field. And now I finally managed it. I can't quite believe it, but now I'm officially an anthropologist. The process of interviews, etc., disrupted my writing and recording of this episode, hence the delay. The job involves working with Aboriginal Australians to help them claim the right to use their traditional lands. I'm very excited about it. The job also involves moving to a remote town hundreds of miles from anywhere, right in the outback. The plan is to move there next weekend. Now this shouldn't have much of an effect on the podcast. I'll still be keeping a weekly slash fortnightly schedule. It does mean, however, that there might be some disruption over the next few weeks as I sort out the logistics of moving and getting settled into the new job and my new surroundings. If over the next month I go quiet, this is why. My commitment to the podcast will not be lessening, however, so we should be getting back to normal schedule soon. The second thing I want to mention is that if you listen to this episode through to the end, you'll notice a new outro. I thought it made sense to put all of the information about how to contact me with any questions, how to find the Facebook page and Twitter accounts, etc., all in one place, at the end, rather than periodically mentioning them at the beginning of episodes. That way the information is always there if you need it, and you don't have to listen to me ask for iTunes reviews, etc., before the episodes start. In the outro, I also talk about my photography. If you visit the website for this podcast, you'll notice that each episode is accompanied by photos. I am a keen photographer, and where I have relevant photographs from my travels in Latin America, I've put them up on the website. Now this podcast is a work of passion for me, and not a project with financial ends. It does, however, involve some running costs, and a lot of time. Rather than ask for donations, I thought I would draw attention to my photography shop on Etsy. I sell high-quality prints of my photographs from the shop. I have a variety of photos from Latin America, Europe, Australia and parts of Asia, and they include landscapes, people and historical sites. I ship to anywhere in the world and in a range of sizes. So if you want to help support the podcast and want something nice to hang on your wall, then have a look at the shop. You can have a look by going to www.maxsergeantphoto.etsy.com.au That's www.maxsergeantphoto.etsy.com.au 
E-A-N-T-P-H-O-T-O dot E-T-S-Y dot com. It's win-win as you actually get something rather than just donating money. Again, the outro is useful here because it saves me mentioning it all the time at the beginning. Anyway, on with the episode. Today we're taking a step back from the story of Spanish exploration and colonialism. Instead we're going to take a more thematic and theoretical approach and examine how things in the new colony were starting to look. Hopefully this will help bring the place to life a bit by providing background information and depth. It will also put the stories which I'll tell in upcoming episodes into better context. By this point, the colony on Hispaniola was starting to get going, despite the problems it had faced. As we saw last episode, it was no longer the sole preserve of Columbus alone. In fact, when we left him, he was being removed back to Spain as a prisoner. A proper colonial government was being set up, and decisions were being made as to what this colony would look like. As this was the first of Spain's colonies, what Hispaniola ended up looking like would determine what future colonies also looked like. The logical end was that this would affect what the Spanish Empire as a whole would look like. To try and make sense of this, there are three things which we'll look at in this episode. Firstly, the Treaty of Tordesillas, which had been signed by the time we left Columbus last episode. Secondly, we will examine the conquistador model of conquest. Finally, we will look at the competing visions that were circulating at the time as to what the Spanish Empire should be. Once we've done all that, we'll bring it all together and draw some conclusions. Some of this will be building on things covered in previous episodes, particularly the second one on the Iberians. Don't be surprised if there's a little bit of overlap, but rest assured that we'll be building on it. As we saw in episode 21, the Spanish had already made an agreement with the Pope, which gave them rights to everything on the western side of the Atlantic. This would prove to be a temporary arrangement, however. That agreement was made in May 1493, soon after Columbus returned from his first voyage. The Treaty of Tordesillas was signed in the summer of 1494, just over a year later. Our last episode took us up to late 1500, so we will have to skip back a bit. We were able to pass over it, as it wouldn't have a serious effect on proceedings for a little while. To put it into the context of the events we've covered so far, Columbus was in the middle of his second voyage when it was signed, exploring the southern coast of Cuba to be precise. Portugal was not happy with the terms of the first treaty. It was agreed between Spain and the Pope without their input, and they believed that it contradicted the Treaty of Alcasovas, which had granted lands south of the Canaries to Portugal. We discussed that treaty in the first episode on the Iberians. That agreement had been on a north-south line, and this new one was on an east-west one. The Portuguese had a point that the new agreement made no attempt to take the terms of the Treaty of Alcasovas into account, and of course it had been agreed without their input. Things were taken even further in September 1493 when the Pope announced another bull which gave the Spanish even more rights at the expense of the Portuguese. The Pope at this time, Alexander VI, was from Valencia, so perhaps that influenced his decision. This newest treaty mentioned the Indies, that is the East Indies, 
and this was a particular cause for concern for the Portuguese. It said, and I've shortened the quote a bit here, We do, in like manner, amplify and extend our aforesaid gift, grant, assignment and letters to all islands and mainlands whatsoever, found and to be found, that are, or may be, or may seem to be in the route of navigation or travel towards the west or south, whether they be in the western parts or in the regions of the south and east and of India, we grant you freely to take corporal possession of said islands and countries and to hold them forever and to defend them against whoever may oppose. Now the wording of this is a little hazy and it talks about potential discoveries. It's also based on speculation and theorising about the geography of the world. As we know, Columbus hadn't reached Asia, but he believed he had. The matter had not yet been settled. Therefore, it's all a bit vague. But despite this, it's hard to deny that this would sound threatening to Portuguese ears. They had been putting enormous efforts into reaching the Indies by rounding Africa. They couldn't just have that taken away. The Portuguese took it upon themselves to meet with the Spanish and discuss the issue without the Pope. They chose the town of Tordesillas in north-central Spain, fairly close to the Portuguese border. During this meeting, the Spanish seemed to have been very accommodating. They agreed to move the line which separated their spheres to 1,185 miles west of the Cape Verde Islands. This meant that it would run north-south through what is now Brazil. Everything west of it, including the Spanish Caribbean possessions, most of South America and all of North America would be Spanish. Part of Brazil would be Portuguese, and so too would be the East Indies. I have been unable to find out why the Spanish were so willing to move the line. They had been given the rights to almost everything, so you wouldn't think that they would give that up easily. I can't really find any evidence that the Portuguese made concessions to them in return. Perhaps the Spanish recognised the fact that the current arrangement was stacked so heavily in their favour and wanted to fix that in order to avoid future resentment. Perhaps they'd established good personal relations with the Portuguese king, but for whatever reason, that's what happened. The agreement stayed between Portugal and Spain, as it was not ratified by Pope Alexander. It wasn't until 1506, when the next Pope, Julius II, gave it official papal blessing. A final point about the Treaty of Tordesillas and its preceding agreements that I want to make relates to who it did not include. It divided the world between the Spanish and the Portuguese and made no mention of any other European power. As you will know, the British, French, Dutch and others would be active in the Americas. So obviously the treaty did not hold in its entirety forever. On paper, however, the treaty did exclude all of these nations from claims to any new lands. This, along with the internal situations of these countries, probably did make them think twice about attempting to create their own empires, at least in the beginning, and it probably gave the Spanish and Portuguese a head start in the Americas. The treaties, of course, also did not make any mention of the native peoples of the Americas. They were given no rights in European eyes to continue to rule their own lands, whether they were small tribes or large, complex empires. I'll leave it to you to draw your own conclusions about that. 
Let's move on to the second factor that shaped the Spanish Empire, the conquistador model of conquest that was to be favoured by the Spanish. Put simply, it looks something like this. The Spanish royalty did not hire armies and generals themselves and then send them out with precise instructions. Instead, they commissioned people to set out on expeditions independently. It was a logical evolution of the feudal model and that of the Reconquista, and in some ways there were links to how we do things today, although not generally when it comes to the army. Successful conquistadors would be rewarded for taking the risk of exploring and pacifying new lands by being awarded titles and rights to govern those lands in place of the monarchs. While much of the spoils went directly back to Spain, portions of it would also be awarded to the conquistadors. Portions of them would also be awarded to the conquistadors. Important generals would have been given land throughout the medieval era in return for their loyalty and service. Similarly, today governments often outsource projects in Western countries. In the UK, everything from the running of prisons to the building of infrastructure projects are awarded to private companies. We have seen how this worked already with Columbus. He took on the job of finding a route to Asia, and in return he was given land in the New World. Of course, Columbus was funded by the crown, rather than private capital. Many of the other large voyages of exploration and conquest were also funded directly this way. Equally so, however, many others were not. Now, the exact laws and nature of Spanish conquest evolved over time, as did the institutions of governance. We will discuss that in later episodes, but for now it's important to know that expeditions were open to anyone who could fund them. There were rules about how conquistador leaders were supposed to treat their armies and the native people they encountered. But beyond this, as long as they stayed within the area claimed in the Treaty of Tordesillas and provided the crown with their share of the loot, they were pretty much free to do as they pleased. The richer conquistadors could fund their adventures themselves. Others could seek backing from wealthy individuals or directly from colonial governors. The soldiers themselves might be paid by receiving a share of any of the riches gained through conquest. Of course this, and the fact that communications were basic and therefore so was oversight, meant that the various conquistadors would end up competing with each other for personal gain. In principle they were working for the crown, but if a rival was active in the same area, this could lead to conflict. There are examples of conquistadors fighting each other, despite being technically on the same side. Again, the comparison with today's large companies holds some weight. Today's multinationals do not hold an allegiance to a nation-state in the way that the conquistadors did, but they still compete in much the same way for new opportunities to profit. They seek investment and take risks in order to create returns on investments. This situation, as well as the risky nature of the job, meant that the people who became conquistadors were generally ambitious, risk-taking men. Perhaps I'm torturing the analogy here, and I don't intend to make a political point, but you could draw a comparison with today's CEOs and successful businessmen. The soldiers who accompanied the conquistadors would have been of a similar character. Perhaps they were equally ambitious and envisioned themselves becoming leaders of their own bands. 
Many would simply have been desperate, struggling to scratch a living in Spain and willing to take the risk of travelling to a strange new land and fighting the locals just so that they could make a better life for themselves. This would have put more pressure on the conquistadors. Failure to obtain riches would not only stifle their own aims, but would lead to discontent amongst the troops. These troops were taking a huge risk by signing up. Disease, starvation, shipwreck, hostile locals, and even rival conquistador bands were all potential killers, and if the golden lands weren't forthcoming, mutiny would be a possibility. So now we have an idea of what the conquistador model of empire looked like. What did it mean? Well, conquest in this era was never pretty. I don't think we can say with confidence that the conquest of the Americas would have been any less bloody if a different approach had been taken. In fact, similar things happened in what is now the USA, and although its beginnings were private enterprises, through the pilgrims, much of the foundation of that country was state-led, first by the British and later by the American government. Putting that aside though, you can see how the conquistador model created fertile conditions for the abuse of Latin America's native people. Personal ambition, pressure from the troops, and the need to create a return on either personal investment or that of backers would have led to no quarter being given in the quest for land and riches. This was exacerbated by the lack of oversight from the Spanish monarchy. The distance and communication technology of the era meant that decisions in the Americas were made long before word could reach Madrid and a reply could be sought. But if it could have, what were the wishes of the monarchs? We know what the conquistadors' motivations were, but what did the king and queen back home want? Well, we've already had a little insight into this when Columbus sent back a group of Tainos from Hispaniola and hinted that they could be used as slaves. The concept of a global empire was a new one, and what an empire should do was still disputed. Different people had different ideas. Let's begin by saying that very few had what we would today recognise as altruistic motives. That doesn't mean that some of these motives weren't relatively altruistic for the time, but the debate as to whether goodness is universal or related to culture and time is a deep one, and not something I'll get into now. If we were to boil it down into a simple binary explanation, there were two main competing visions for the Spanish Empire. I will call them the profit motive and the religious motive. On the profit side, you obviously had the conquistadors. On the religious side, you had the church. This was an exceedingly religious era, and the Catholic Church was an institution which crossed borders and rivaled crowns. While profit was also a motivation for people in the church at this time, it certainly wasn't a pure and noble organisation by any means. To simplify things, the aim of the church was to win new converts to the faith. Now destroying a people's way of life and religious beliefs is again not a compassionate move by today's standards, but it's certainly better than being enslaved, dispossessed and killed. As a side note, this is also not to say that the church was completely against those things, as the Inquisition demonstrates. There was, however, a strand of Catholicism at the time, which advocated for a type of compassionate religion that we would recognise today, and which bore a resemblance to the love-thy-neighbour pacifist teachings of Jesus. 
This would be best represented by Bartolomeo de las Casas, who I've briefly mentioned before, and who we will talk about in depth fairly soon. Even those who took a more hardline approach to what they called infidels may have believed that they were doing some good, as they were saving the Americans from hellfire. Ethics and grey errors aside, the point is that while sometimes they would align, in many ways the religious motivation and the profit motivation were in a sort of competition. In the middle sat the crown. They obviously wanted riches and new land, as well as a return whenever they had made an investment. But they also wanted to keep the Pope on side, and some would have been devout Catholics themselves, perhaps with a strong conscience. How much they lent in either direction would depend on the specific monarch and their own personal ethics. They also had to take geopolitical factors into account, particularly with their rivals, the Portuguese. If the Portuguese were to get ahead with their empire, it could leave Spain vulnerable. The majority of ordinary settlers would have also sat somewhere in the middle. Many were probably desperately poor, and simply looking for a chance to make their life more bearable. Again, it would have come down to the individual. So, the Treaty of Tordesillas, the conquistador model of conquest, and the competing visions of empire, all affected how the Spanish Empire would look, until independence over 300 years later. In some ways, it even affected how the region looks today. Perhaps it would have been very different if things had been done just slightly differently. Time and again in this podcast, examples of exactly what I mean by all this will come up, and they will illustrate it. But for now, this is an overview. The Treaty of Tordesillas is fairly self-explanatory. Although its clauses won't define the exact borders of today's nation-states, it did set the general direction as to who owns what. That the Pope had been involved in the negotiations between Spain and Portugal was a sign of the times and demonstrates the power of the religious vision for the Americas. The conflict between the religious and the profit-based visions for the Americas will be hard-fought. Its victims will largely be the native inhabitants. At times the conflict will even spill over into the white American world and claim European victims. There will be philosophical theses written on the likelihood of rescuing Indian souls, with some arguing that they did not even possess the required souls for saving. Which of the competing visions wins will have important consequences for both the natives and the character of the colonial Americas. If the religious vision was to win, while losing much of their culture and being second-class citizens, the natives will be protected from the worst excesses of the Europeans. If the profit-based vision wins, the natives will suffer greatly, without even getting the option to save themselves before dying in large numbers. We will explore this more as we tell the various stories of Latin American history. But to put it simply, neither side will win outright. Instead, the two visions will be enacted in different ways and to different levels, depending on time and place. This was inevitable, really, and even if a coherent vision was prescribed, the vast and remote geography, as well as the distance from the mother countries, meant that it would never be effectively enforced. Any moralistic intentions would also be undermined by the conquistador model of empire. Again, the geography and resulting lack of oversight played its part in this, but the conquistador model encouraged the basest instincts of man to come out. Finally, if you think back to the second episode on the Iberians, 
when we discussed the plantation economies they established in their new Atlantic islands, you have a complete picture of the major features that laid the foundations of the Spanish Empire. I hope that all made sense. As I said in the beginning, this episode was quite theoretical. I hope it was as interesting as the stories of adventure are. Next episode, we'll have a look at what the Portuguese were doing. Until then, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America and that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T If you have any comments or questions feel free to get in contact at historyoflatinamericapodcast at gmail.com You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast The Twitter handle is at History Latin AM, and if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash m-a-x-s-e-r-j-e-a-n-t photo thanks for listening this country was built on a distinctly american work ethic but today work is in trouble we've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.